Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball. And in case you missed it, earlier this week on Tuesday, I dropped an episode breaking down some of the recent decisions and additions made in the transfer portal. We all know just how big of a part that is of the college basketball offseason. If you are a fan of the sport, if you are a fan of a certain team, you are following the transfer portal on pins and needles based on everything that's gone down since 2020, around 2021, around that time. The NCAA, they brought in a new rule saying that if you are a one-time transfer, you do not have to sit out for an offseason like you used to, even if you didn't graduate. And that even grew uh, to an extent of players who are transferring for a second or third time, maybe because of a coaching change in recent off seasons. Like some players haven't even had to sit out for a second or third time, but the NCAA claims they're cracking down on that. That likely won't be the case this off season. We will see when those official decisions are made, but in the last week or two, the last few days, the, Number of names and the number of news items that we've got in regards to the transfer portal, that has shortened a bit. It's decreased a bit. So what we are going to be doing today is I wanted to focus on some of the biggest and most impactful decisions that are going to be made when it comes to the NBA draft. And there are still a handful of schools with players that are right on the fringe. Are they coming back to school or not? And I have a few that I really wanted to focus on and talk with you guys about today. So without further ado, let's do it. It's time to go around college basketball, to go around the NBA draft waters and see what are the most important decisions that still have to be made in terms of players that are still deciding they're still on that fence. Is it better for me to come back to school right now or is it better for me to go pro? So I'll start off with probably the most important decision on the table right now. And that is Oscar Shibway of Kentucky. Oscar, of course, has been the premier player in college basketball for the last two seasons, winning the Wooden Award, the player of the year, two years ago. And it's not like Oscar had a bad season this past year. He was still dominant. He was still himself as the premier rebounder in this sport, but he didn't live up to the expectations he set for himself. Of course, winning, he couldn't win back-to-back national player of the year. Of course, that would be pretty unreasonable to expect of anyone, but Kentucky fans, I feel like are super split on this one, because if the word is, is Oscar, if he doesn't come back, it's looking like Kentucky is going to get Hunter Dickinson for Michigan. And what is uh, determining Hunter Dickinson's decision right now if uh, he's going to go to Kentucky, is does Shibway come back or not? So that is what we are all waiting for. What is Oscar going to do? And I will say this. If I was Kentucky, I would prefer to have Shibway back. And I know a big reason why a lot of Kentucky fans are a little bit skeptical in Shibway right now, primarily is the fact they haven't had a ton of NCAA tournament success in Oscar's two years in Lexington, right? Oscar was obviously a part of that Kentucky team that was shocked in the first round by St. Peter's, a loss that still I feel like Kentucky fans are pretty surprised about. So they lose that game. And throughout last season, after Oscar decided to come back to school, it really felt like to me, teams really started 
to pick up on, okay, how do we beat Kentucky with Shibway? And that's, of course, you put him in the ball screen. He is very weak at guarding that. And he got a little exposed. And in the NBA, I don't know how his game is really going to work with that big of a hole and, and one that's that clear. So despite saying all that, Oscar is still a dominant college player. Hunter Dickinson, just like Shibway, has his own weaknesses, especially on the defensive side of the floor. At least Oscar could block some shots for you uh, here and there at the rim, and he's just such a strong rebounder. We know Dickinson is much more skilled offensively, but if I was Kentucky, I would prefer to have Shibway back. I don't know necessarily if John Calipari feels the same way, considering there have been uh, some talk this morning that Kentucky and Calipari flew out to Michigan to see Hunter Dickinson. So, I'm intrigued by Shibway and the whole decision process with him. Kentucky is also waiting on Antonio Reeves and Chris Livingston, who were two pretty important pieces to the team this past season. And I do think if they come back, despite the amount of really good freshmen Kentucky has uh, coming back to school, they need those two guys because veteran experience is important, especially as we've seen recently. Like if you want to win in the NCAA tournament, Having that experience is key, and I think Livingston and Reeves, by the way, Antonio Reeves played his worst game of the season at the worst possible time for Kentucky in that round of 32 game against Kansas State. And with Reeves, it's one of those things where as bad as that game was, he showed throughout the season that he was a really good player and he would be very helpful for Kentucky to have back in my opinion. And same with Chris Livingston. I know that he wasn't the freshman that everyone had their eyes on with case and Wallace there, but I think throughout the season and as the season went on, Livingston improved, he got better and better. And I think he would be a really good sophomore and a really good player for Kentucky to bring back. If I were to predict I would say Shibway ends up leaving and Reeves and Livingston both end up coming back, which I guess if you're a Kentucky fan, you would sign for considering the fact it most likely would mean that Hunter Dickinson would be coming in. But I feel like, and I don't even know if I want to say the Kentucky fan base, but I just feel like John Calipari, man, like you don't realize how good something is until it's gone. And I feel like that could be the case here with Oscar Shibway. So Kentucky, they still have three major decisions to be made when it comes to the NBA draft. And these decisions will likely say just how good or just how or the position Kentucky is in, what that will be looking like heading into next season. Those are how important these decisions are. And if Kentucky loses two of those three guys, I won't be feeling particularly great about the Wildcats heading into next season. Continuing with the important draft decisions to be made, I will go to another premier big man. The guy we actually started the show talking about the guy who won National Player of the Year two years ago. And let's continue it with the guy who just won it this past season in Zach Eady from Purdue. And I think Eady and Shibway are kind of similar in the sense that as dominant of a college player as both of these two guys were in Shibway and Eady, I just, I'm not necessarily sure how big of a role Eady could have in the NBA considering A, like Shibway, he doesn't shoot the ball. And B, if you make him guard on the perimeter and you put him in ball screens, it might, it's probably not going to work out for you. And that's why I think Zach Eady should come back to college basketball. If I were to predict, I do think he does come back to college basketball. But from a larger picture perspective, when you look at this Purdue team, I know that the focus is going to be they were a number one seed and they lost to Fairleigh Dickinson. They were the second number one seed in the history of the NCAA tournament to lose to a 16 seed joining that exclusive company with 2018 Virginia. But 
Purdue was a team that when you look at their roster going into the season and considering how much they lost from the team, I think that over that underachieved even more two years ago when they had Jaden Ivey in 2021 and they lost to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. Yes, as crazy as that sounds, I think Purdue's 2022 second or Sweet 16 loss to St. Peter's. I thought that loss was worse than this past season when they lost to number 16 seeded Fairleigh Dickinson, considering the talent and the personnel they had on that team. And the thing about Purdue heading into this season is their guards should both be back in Smith and Lawyer. I know that both those guys just look terrified to shoot or do anything in that second round NCAA tournament or in that first round loss to Fairleigh Dickinson, but they they're also freshmen and, and they will get better. And both of them, I think, hit a little bit of a wall midseason, which is totally normal. Purdue should also bring back guys like Ethan Morton and Mason Gillis. Uh, and Edie obviously is the key. I also think if you're Matt Painter, Caleb first should have a much bigger role. I was really impressed with what he did as a freshman two years ago. I think that's a guy that could actually create some offense for Purdue, give them some scoring. I think if you're the Boilermakers and uh, just a piece of advice to Matt Painter, and I know that really his overall style and vision for Purdue and the way they've played in the NCAA tournament had really no shot at working over the course of the last two years playing around Edie. And when I say that Edie was very limited in the second half of that St. Peter's game. I think Matt Painter needs to be more willing to adjust during games. That is one major weakness of his right now, but Purdue could bring everyone back. All of their starting five, Smith, Lawyer, Morton, Gillies, Edie plus first. I think that's a really solid top six to bring back Brandon Newman was the only member of the Boilers that entered the transfer portal this offseason. But Edie, coming back or not, is going to determine if Purdue is a top five, top 10 team entering next season or if they're just not ranked at all. That's how big of an impact this guy has. If I were to predict it, I think he comes back. Of course, he's also not American. He's from Canada. So that could have an impact on the NIL uh, like Shibway too, that that's a big factor. Adama Sanogo from UConn is someone we'll get into a little bit later in this show. With a lot of these players, they're not from this country, which does complicate NIL and the amount of money they could get to a certain extent. But Zach Eady, I, I think that's how important his decision to come back or not is for this Purdue team. If he comes back, I think there's a good chance Purdue opens up next season in the top five or the top 10. And if he doesn't come back, I think there's a really good chance they open unranked. UConn, I mentioned Adama Sanogo. Danny Hurley said today that his college career is over, which isn't too much of a surprise considering that UConn will have Donovan Klingon back next season. And when I heard that, I kind of knew that it was looking likely Sanogo like, uh, most likely wouldn't be back at UConn. And uh, Klingon's going to have that role next season as their starting big man. And I'm very interested to see what he looks like playing 30 minutes a game next year, considering in just such a limited sample size, he was absolutely dominant for the Huskies and their national championship team uh, this past March, what we saw from them. And UConn also has a decision to be made for Tristan Newton, who was the starting point guard for the national championship team this past season. It's interesting because UConn, they do have a top 10 recruit in Stefan Castle uh, that's supposed to be coming into stores next season. He's very good on the ball. So would Tristan Newton coming back 
that would be an interesting dynamic to see both those guys uh, playing together. Newton was very good in the NCAA tournament for UConn when a lot of people didn't necessarily think he was capable uh, of leading a team as the primary ball handler to a national championship. Of course, Andre Jackson, he did a lot facilitating that offense. And that is another guy for the Huskies, by the way, that has a major decision to be made in terms of uh, entering the NBA draft or not. He is an interesting one because I think Jackson is an NBA player and he would be like a top 35, top 40 pick. But the freshman class uh, coming into college basketball next season is pretty weak. And if Jackson has one more really good season of college, I think there's a good chance he could be a first round pick, maybe a lottery pick next year. So that's how good he is. UConn is a team that still has a few major decisions to be waiting on. It's looking like Sonogo is going to be gone, but Jackson and Newton. Those two guys, if God forbid they get both of them back, then UConn should also, along with Purdue and uh, Kentucky, uh, they should be ranked very highly heading into next season, maybe even a top five team. That's how important the decision of getting Andre Jackson back possibly would be. Going over to another blue blood, and I'll transition that because, yes, I think after their fifth national championship uh, this past March, UConn is definitely in that blue blood conversation, if not definitively a blue blood but I wanted to talk about Duke who they've had a great offseason in terms of the decisions that they've gotten with players coming back of course Tyrese Proctor Kyle Filipowski Mark Mitchell all three of those guys decide to come back to school after their freshman year they're gonna make good NIL I think those were all solid decisions by them I was a little surprised by the Filipowski decision considering he would have likely been a first round pick in the NBA draft and he had a really good freshman year, but Hey, he's coming back. Duke is another team that's likely going to be opening in the top five. And by the way, when all these decisions are made, I'll give you guys my full official way too early top 25. I know a lot of people did that directly after the national championship game. But for me, with all the transfer portal moves that are going to be going on, I just don't feel like I could give you guys a real reasonable, accurate, description of a a way too early top 25 just considering how many moves and how many important decisions still have to be made up to this point so I promise at some point I will give you guys an, an updated top 25 on this show it's just way too early with all the important decisions that still have to be made so when it comes to uh where these teams are gonna be ranked I know I've said already on this show that I think a handful of teams could open next season in the top five if they get X player back. But that's why we're having these conversations because when you look at uh, the NBA draft right now and these decisions that have to be made, like the reason I started with these guys, Shibwe, Sonogo, uh, Edie, is that they're the most important. Like they're the most impactful in terms of their decisions and just how much their team would lose if they don't come back to school. So Duke is in this conversation with their point guard, Jeremy Roach. And Roach has already played three years of college basketball, which is really hard to believe. He was a freshman in the same recruiting class as guys like Jalen Johnson and Henry Coleman, who ended up transferring uh, to Texas A&M, Jamin Brakefield, who ended up transferring to Ole Miss, DJ Stewart, who moved on to the NBA after one year of college. He was in that recruiting class as well. And Roach has been in school for a while now. He was very good in the 2022 NCAA tournament when Duke made it all the way to the final four in Coach K's last ride. 
he was good as well this season. There were just so many other guys on that Duke team that you focused on, as we mentioned with Proctor and Whitehead, Lively, Filipowski. Like that Duke team was just absolutely loaded. And I do think even if Roach decides not to come back, Duke will be in a really good spot considering of the guys that are going to be returning. They did lose the commitment of top five prospect McKenzie and Baco. I'm very fascinated to see where he ends up next year. But Roach, I think it's an important decision. Like if he comes back, Duke will be most likely the number one team entering next season. But even if he doesn't come back, I still think this Duke team will be fine in that top five, top 10 range with Filipowski, with Proctor, with Mitchell. I think John Shire did about as good of a job as anyone could have expected in his first year last season replacing Coach K. Duke was playing really good basketball as the season went into March. They won the ACC tournament. And I know the ending of their season against Tennessee in the round of 32 feels a little bit disappointing. It's not something that everyone necessarily expected, but considering where Duke was at one point at the beginning of ACC play, when they're getting run off the floor by NC State, when they're getting run off the floor by Wake Forest, I do think that overall it was a very successful year one by John Shire. And the decision to get Jeremy Roach back for next year, that ultimately will determine if Duke will be the number one ranked team heading into next season. A couple other single guys, uh, and when I say single, I just meant one player for a few teams that I wanted to talk about. Uh, But before we do that, actually, I'll I'll transition to Florida Atlantic. It's looking like John L. Davis and Elijah Martin are going to be testing the waters for the NBA draft. They announced that last week. I do expect both guys to come back. And I feel like FAU (laughs) going into next season is going to be the most difficult team to rank, in my opinion, because they do... If Martin and Davis decide to come back, they are going to return eight of their nine guys from a team that made the final four this past season. And I thought like they were right there with San Diego state. Of course they led by 14 points at one time in that second half. And I do think FAU was legitimately good. Like they were an elite team after they were able to get by Memphis. And after they were able to get by uh, Fairly Dickinson in the Sweet 16 or in the round of 32 to get to the Sweet 16, I should say. They were the better team against Tennessee in the Sweet 16. They were the better team against Kansas State in the Elite Eight. And I think they were the better team against San Diego State in the Final Four. But they lost on that heartbreaking Lamont Butler buzzer beater. And we've seen it a lot of times with teams that make surprising runs in the NCAA tournament that look legitimately good. And then they have a few guys on the fringe who decide to come back. But the pressure gets to them, the expectations get to them, the possibilities and thoughts of playing in the NBA draft possibly gets to them, and they're just not the same player. And I I worry that could happen with FAU, considering just a year ago at this time, no one had any idea who these guys were. And Dusty May is an elite coach. There is no doubt about it. And the first two comparisons that came to mind for me for this FAU team were – Nevada in 2019, after they made it to the Sweet 16 in 2018, and they got the Martin Twins to come back. They got Jordan Caroline to come back. And that team was being ranked in the top five throughout the preseason. And it's not like they had a bad season per se. Like they won the Mountain West. They were a number seven seed in the NCAA tournament, which is pretty disappointing. But considering like they're Nevada, that's not a bad season. And they lost in the first round. And then crazily enough, The other team that comes to mind here for me is Creighton this past year, who made it to the 
Elite Eight, but I think overall, big picture, and, and you could definitely contribute some of this to the Ryan Kalkbrunner missing time early on in the season, but as good as Creighton was this past season, they were never the team a lot of people expected them to be. In, in that Elite Eight game against San Diego State, they could not hit a three. I believe they shot two of 19 from three in that game, which was not ideal at all. And for a team that was picked in the top five, expecting to possibly win a national championship in the preseason, I just never thought Creighton was the team we really expected them to be in the preseason. Not saying they had a bad year, and of course, those were maybe even a little bit of unrealistic expectations to give them. But we know what happened. Losing in the Elite Eight is never a bad season, especially when it was only the second time in your program's history getting there. The reason why I bring up bring that up with this FAU team is I understand someone that says they were one basket away from making it to the national championship game. Dusty May is an elite coach. They bring everyone back. They deserve to be ranked in the top five. And I totally understand that. But at the same time, I think putting them that high also is kind of setting them up to fail a little bit because if you put FAU in the big 12 next year, are they winning the league? Because if you put them in the top five, What you're basically saying is that, yeah, they are. If you're putting FAU in the Big East next year, are you saying they're going to win that league? They're probably not. So that's why I think FAU is the most difficult team to rank in preseason top 25s entering next season. And we don't even know about all these draft decisions yet. So when it comes to Davis and Martin, I expect both guys to be back. And FAU also got some news today that should excite some fans. They have a non-conference game against St. Bonaventure and Mark Schmidt scheduled for next year. So good to see the FAU program playing in some bigger games uh, in the neutral variety heading into next season. They had such a great run in the final four. It was such a fun team to watch. They were very enjoyable. I loved watching them play. And I do hope from a selfish perspective that both those guys will be back next year. And uh, Dusty May deciding to come back as the FAU head coach. We'll see just how much longer he'll be in Boca. A couple other decisions that I'll go a little more quickly on in terms of the NBA draft and coming back to school. Adam Bona of UCLA is interesting to me. There were some rumors that maybe he'd be entering the transfer portal, but he decided to enter the NBA draft while maintaining his eligibility. I'm not even a thousand percent sure if coming back to UCLA is an option for him. Maybe he still decides to enter the transfer portal, but UCLA is interesting. They lost Amari Bailey. They're going to lose Jaime Hawkins. They're going to lose Tiger Campbell. Jalen Clark is another one for UCLA. Is he coming back to school? He's another guy that entered the NBA draft while maintaining his college eligibility. And I still think to this day, if UCLA had a healthy Clark and a healthy Bona in the NCAA tournament, I think they had a really good chance of winning it all. And that Gonzaga game is still one of the crazier, more confusing games I've seen just thinking about the NCAA tournament since it ended. Like UCLA went 11 minutes without scoring a basket against Gonzaga, who is not very good on the defensive end at all. And I'm confident if they have Clark, if they have Bona, they win that game handily going away. So When you look at this UCLA team, though, I like Dylan Andrews. I think he is an impact breakout candidate for next year. Even if they get Clark back, I'm not necessarily sure just how strong this team will be. I know UCLA is one of those schools where academics is a major priority. That's not a school or a program that you could get everyone into. But 
Bona and Clark, I think those are two major decisions. And I think considering the way the season ended for both of them, not being able to play on the court in UCLA's final March Madness game, that could definitely have an impact on them. Go to a couple SEC schools, Mark Sears and Charles Bediaco for Alabama. I would expect both guys to come back. If one of them is going to leave, I would expect it to be Bediaco. I'm a big fan of his, especially at the college level. One of the best pure rim protectors in the sport, even though ironically it was Nathan Mensah and San Diego State who got the best out of Alabama in their Sweet 16 game during the NCAA tournament. But I'm a big fan of Bediaco. He's someone that could play for my team any day of the week. I think if he does come back to school, he will be one of the better players in the SEC next season. Alabama lost. They're going to lose three members of that freshman class, two to the NBA draft, one to the transfer portal. Obviously, Brandon Miller had a phenomenal season when he was on the court. He'll be off to the NBA draft. And Noah Clowney, who really came out of nowhere, is a guy who in some recruiting sites he wasn't even a a top 100 recruit entering the season and he could be a lottery slash first round pick in the NBA draft he is that good I'm a big fan of Noah Clowney so he will be leaving Bama also Jaden Bradley he entered the transfer portal actually visited Memphis was at the Grizzlies game last night I saw online so Alabama they will be losing some production from last year's team I expect Mark Sears to come back I think He was excellent down the stretch for Alabama. We'll see what happens with uh, Javon Quinterly in terms of his his eligibility. I believe he has one more year of eligibility left. And I honestly would like to see what Alabama looks like with just Mark Sears running the point. Quinterly is actually another guy we're going to be waiting for his decision in terms of if he's coming back to school or not. And I like Jelly. He's a talented player. But he's just been in college for a minute now. It's been a long time. Uh, I, I remember him starting his career at Villanova. And uh, I want to see what Alabama looks like with Mark Sears running the point, just, even though I do know how talented Quinterly is. Maybe he's a guy that enters the transfer portal for a second time. Who knows? Arkansas, they've been unreal in the transfer portal as we hit on Tuesday's show. But they're still awaiting some big decisions with Devo Davis and Jordan Walsh. I do expect one of those guys to be back, but it is interesting. That backcourt is just so crowded with Menafield coming over, with L. Ellis now coming over, Tremont Mark coming over, Khalif Battle. Like, they just have so many guys. And Devo, what he's done for the Arkansas program in his three years on campus, I think are very underrated, especially how much success he's had in the NCAA tournament. He hit the game-winning shot to lead the Hogs over Oral Roberts in the Sweet 16 in 2021. He also hit the shot to give Arkansas the win over Texas Tech in the round of 32 in 2021, which was just an epic game, an epic shot by Devo Davis. And then he shut down Jalen Wilson in Kansas in the round of 32 this past season to give the Hogs the upset win over the Jayhawks. He is just an unreal player. Of course, he was also a member of the 2022 Arkansas team that made it to the Elite Eight. I'm a huge fan of Devo Davis, and I do think if they get him back, like it will be important to have that kind of continuity where you have all these transfers, but at least you have a guy back that knows what it's like to play for Eric Musselman, a guy that knows what to expect from Coach Muss. I'm a big fan of Devo Davis, and I do hope to see him back in a Hogs uniform. If I were to predict, I think Jordan Walsh ends up leaving school and going to the NBA draft. Walsh, he had his moments for the Hogs, hit a couple big shots in that Kansas game as well. One of the best on-ball defenders in the country. And of course, you could always use that. But 
are Walsh and Devo both really coming back to Arkansas? When they got Trevon Brazil back, which was huge news, they've added all of these transfers. And I know it's Eric Musselman, but at the same time, Muss is a coach that only plays a rotation of like seven, eight guys at most. He likes to keep his bench really thin and the injuries killed Arkansas this past year, right? I still think about sometimes how exactly would this Arkansas season ended if Trevon Brazil doesn't tear his ACL and he's out there the entire time? Because early on in the season, he was looking like Arkansas's best player, and I'm a huge fan of his game. I hope the, ACs, the ACL is healthy and ready to go by opening night of the season. The next decision I wanted to focus on is in the Big Ten, and it's Illinois, right? Coleman Hawkins. I think this is huge because, look, I'll be honest with you guys. Going into last season, and I still feel this way for the most part, like I'm a big Brad Underwood fan, and I'm not saying he's the perfect coach. Like He definitely has his flaws, but he makes the NCAA tournament basically every year, going back to his days at Stephen F. Austin. And I do think Illinois, not including, maybe even including this year if you want, like they got Arkansas in that 8-9 game. Illinois has gotten brutal luck when it comes to their NCAA tournament draws. When they were a number one seed in 2021, the one of the teams in the 8-9 game in their pod was Loyola Chicago, who was ranked on Kempom as a top 10 team entering the NCAA tournament that year. And they lost that game. Cameron Crutwig dominated Kofi Coburn, kind of like Sheboy, kind of like Edie, like we've just been talking about, on the pick and roll in ball screens as well. And when you look at Illinois, the next year, they had a really talented team as well. Trent Frazier back, Kofi Coburn, and they were a number five seed. They got 12-seeded Chattanooga, who was a great mid-major team. Somehow they win that game. And then they lose to Houston in the round of 32, a Houston team that was a five seed that was also ranked in the top 10 of Ken Palm. So Illinois has not had lucky or helpful draws in their NCAA tournament selections. And they've lost a lot of talent over the course of the last two, three years. And when you look at this roster right now, they lose Terrence Shannon, who earlier in the offseason, many people I heard were expecting him back. They lose him. They also lose Sky Clark and R.J. Melendez to the transfer portal. Two of their starting backcourt entering last season, I know Clark left the school midseason, but he's out here posting on Twitter a second after Illinois loses in the NCAA tournament to Arkansas. He's posting that he's going to Louisville. So even though he cited personal reasons as the reason why uh, he decided not to stay with the Illini, there clearly must have been some bad blood there considering he's doing that so quickly after Illinois loses in the NCAA tournament. By the way, that's a move I don't necessarily love. Like, come on. They gave you a chance to play on scholarship. You could have a little bit more respect than that. than posting that right after the season ends. But nothing you could do about it now. And I think this Illinois team needs Coleman Hawkins back or else they're in major trouble. Now, the I were able to pick up some transfers from the mid-major ranks that I think could be helpful to their team next season when you look at uh, who they've picked up so far. They had Justin Harmon from U- Utah Valley, who's a guard there, averaged 14 points per game. Uh, I think he could be pretty solid. But they lose Shannon. They, they're going to lose Matthew Meyer. He's out of eligibility. They do return Dane Danger, which who I think is a solid piece, Ty Rogers as well. But I think Illinois needs Coleman Hawkins back, or else 
they could be in trouble entering next season. And I do think Hawkins, if he decides to go, like he's going to get drafted. So that is a very interesting piece for me when it comes to this Illinois team. A couple other draft decisions quickly. Um, Reese Beekman of Virginia, I think they need him back considering how much they lost, but he's a shooter. He could go to the NBA. Tennessee is waiting on Josiah Jordan-James and Julian Phillips. I think if you're a Vols fan, especially considering the news you've received lately about Santiago Vescovi and Chris Ledlam, the transfer from Harvard who, who uh, decided to commit to Tennessee, I think it was big to get Vescovi back. If you could get one of Phillips and James back, pair them with Vescovi, pair them with Jonas Adu, who I think will be ready for a breakout season in Knoxville next season, and hopefully uh, Tennessee gets Zakai Ziegler back healthy from that uh, devastating ACL injury that he suffered in March. If Tennessee could get one of those two guys back, I think they'll be in a pretty solid spot entering next season. And I know, especially after this season, like just how frustrated Vols fans are, considering they had a golden opportunity in the Sweet 16, drawing at Florida Atlantic, like Purdue, the number one seed, they got knocked out early. Marquette, the number two seed in that region, they got knocked out early. Kansas State, who was really good, but really overachieved this season they were the number three seed Tennessee knocks out Duke in the NCAA tournament which is Rick Barnes best win probably as the head coach of Tennessee it was a frustrating ending but I do think eventually if Tennessee just keeps knocking on that door they will eventually break through I do believe in Rick Barnes as a head coach and as frustrating as this past season's loss was FAU was just the better team in my opinion they really deserve to win that game So that's going to do it for this episode of College Hoops Daily presented by Betfred Sports with Zach Kroll just breaking down some of the most important NBA draft decisions still having to be made before we get to the draft. And this is when I'll really start thinking about and putting together a preseason top 25 because it's these decisions that will really shape what exactly happens next season entering college basketball. So thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone have a great weekend.